Hey, would you agree that some days kind of stand out above all the rest of the days? Your wedding day? Can you, some of you can't remember. Mom, dad, you remember your wedding day? I got, actually, I got married in this space. It looked different, but I stood right here, and she came through those, those same doors right there. I'll never forget that day. What about the birth of a child? Yeah. There's other days that are not joyful days, but they, they stand out above other days. 9-11. Moments like that. Maybe more personal events. The diagnosis comes in. Some days just stand out, stand above all the other days. I had one of these days in June when I was in Africa, and I want to just tell you a little bit about, about this day, and there's a couple of pictures up here. The, the morning started with, uh, well, it started on Saturday, would you preach to refugees? And I thought, oh my goodness, really? I mean, not that I don't want to preach, but what do, what do I... God, what do you want me to say? Would you preach to a group of refugees who have fled South Sudan, they've lost everything, and they're in this refugee camp, and some have been there for more than 20 years because there's been so much conflict in their country and they can't go home. Would you go and worship with those brothers and sisters and preach to them from God's word? And so I did, and I had that experience. And afterwards, we there's, a, there's an orphanage on site, and so we spent some time with the kids, and... There's some pictures up there of these kids that don't, they don't know who they are. They don't know who they're, they, they may have a name of parents, but they don't have any paperwork. They don't know who they are. Uganda will not let them assimilate because who are they? And they can't go home and they don't have family. And when they're 16, they give them a piece of land to go build a hut and grow some corn and that's your life. And so I spent some, some time with them and they have joy. It's amazing that they're smiling and, and they, they want to laugh and they, they, they don't want you to leave. And so I had that, that, those hours in the morning that just, I, as we drove away, I was very overwhelmed. I was completely engaged with the reality of mankind and God and sin and our brokenness and who am I? Why was I born where I was? Why, you know, all those questions and I'm just consumed with those and we're driving and and one of the team leaders says, hey, let's go spend the day, on the day on the Nile, the afternoon on the Nile. And I go, the Nile? Like the Nile River? It's here in, in Uganda? Yeah, the White Nile, and later joins with the Blue Nile, and then it ends up in Egypt and in the Med Mediterranean Ocean. And I said, we can go on it? And they go, yeah. And so we get in this boat, and it was an Indiana Jones boat. I remember it was blue. The first thing they do when you get in, there's a motor on the back. When you get in, the, the two guys, the guy in the front and the back, they start bailing water which is not a good sign because there's about six inches of water and the wood looks rotten and the, the motor looks like something you made a go-kart out of, you know, when I was a kid. And, but yes, we went out on the, on the Nile River and we're out of, and there's a picture up there of kind of the tributaries and what it looks like, the part of the delta. And when we're coming back in, there's a picture of these reeds that I have. And the guy points over and he goes, that's the species, those are the reeds that Moses was put in a basket in the northern part of the Nile. And it, it was just surreal. My mind goes to, and it had been on what I described in the morning, and now I'm out in the middle of the, the Nile, and I'm feeling the water, and I'm sealing it, seeing it and experiencing it, and as we're coming back, I have that thought. Would we figure out how many thousands, Don? Almost 4,000 years ago, a little boy, God protected a baby boy 
by directing his mom to put, her, put him in a little basket and put it in those bushes. And then the daughter of Pharaoh found him, and we know what God did. And I went to bed that night thinking, man, this is just one of those days that I don't know if I'll ever forget. So we have these days that, that we experience in our life. Joel, the book of Joel, and if, you have, if you've missed chapter 1 or chapter 2, Master, Pastor, Master Pat, <laughs> Master Pat over here, you didn't know you were married to Pat, did you? Master Pat, did, if you, you can go to crossroadsfamily.org and you can watch or listen if you missed one or two because you need to have that experience, that encounter with God's Word to get the whole picture of the, of the book of Joel. And in the book of Joel, he, he talks about this day. He talks about a day that is unlike any other day, the day of the Lord. Now, this phrase appears a lot in the Word of God, and, and it can, it can kind of point to different things, time-wise, length-wise, when, in, in, the, in the timeline of God's plans. But there's, there is a common, consistent thought that always is attached to this day of the Lord. And it's the idea that it's His day. It's His day. Now, we can debate and talk about when and how long and what he's going to do, but what we can't debate is that it's his day. It's his day to do something, to reveal something. It's his day. And no one else's opinion or plans or agenda is going to matter because it's his day. And it is a day of days. It is a day like any other day in human history. There's some other days that stand out. But Joel zooms in on this day of the Lord. And I call it the day of days. And I want us just for a few minutes this morning to look at Joel chapter 3 and just kind of explore this, this question that I had, is what makes this day unlike any other day? And that question grows out of what the Holy Spirit gives us here in Joel chapter 3. Why is this day unlike any other day? Look at Joel chapter 3 verse 1. You have your Bibles? Okay, you got your phones? Okay, is it on the screen behind me? Okay, don't get lazy. Okay, make sure you follow along. And I'm, and I'm thinking of Don over here. He's got his arms folded. He's already just reclining there. Let's make sure we engage God's word together. Chapter 3, verse 1. Yes, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I, God is speaking, I will gather all the nations and I will take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I'm sorry, this name is always a distraction. What in the world? Now, I'll talk about what it means in just a second. But if your name has fat in it, maybe, that's just, you, know, maybe you need to talk to mom and dad. Maybe we could have thought this through a little bit better. Because it is the name of a person, too. God says, I'll bring them together. I will gather all the nations and take them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there. Keep that thought in your mind. I, God says, I will enter into judgment with the nations there in the valley of Jehoshaphat because of my people, because of my inheritance Israel. The nations have scattered. Let's take a little history lesson, God says. Let's reflect for a moment. Let me remind you that the nations have scattered the Israelites into foreign countries and they've divided up my land. Is that still happening today? It is, isn't it? It's still being contested. It's still being torn apart. They have divided up my land and they've cast lots for my people. They've bartered a boy for a prostitute 
They've used a, a Jewish boy to pay for the services of a prostitute. And they've sold a girl for wine to drink. They've used a Jewish girl to purchase wine that they could drink. And also, there's Tyre and Sidon, some coastal cities, the Phoenicians. And then there's all the territories of Philistia, the Philistines. Remember that name? David and Goliath. What are you all to me, you nations? Are you now paying me back or trying to get even with me by the way that you're treating my people? I will quickly bring retribution on your heads, for you took my silver and gold and carried my finest treasures off to your temples, and you sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, to the Ionians, and, to, and you removed them from their own land that I put them in, their own territory. Look, I'm about to rouse them up. I'm about to gather them back together and bring them from the place where you sold them. And again, God says, I will bring retribution, retribution on your heads. I will sell your daughters, sons and daughters, into the hands of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabians, South Arabia area, to a distant nation, for the Lord has spoken. Aren't you glad you came this morning? What in the world is going on? What makes this day that we've just seen the first part of the description in our text this morning unlike any other day? Okay, I'm going to ask you to buckle up and hold on, okay? I'm really impressed with how Matt has been able to teach for 35, 45, 50 minutes, whatever it was, to, to, through the, because there's so much here, right? There, we, we've talked about, we need an e-group, we need a small group where we can unpack some of these things and take some time. But from the 30,000 foot level, I want you to hold on and join with me on this journey. There's some things that we need to capture from this text. And the, and the first one is this, God will judge, God will judge those who harm his people. Now, the reason that's important for us to understand is because when we look at history, for those, for those of us of, of the last couple generations, we have this connection to World War II and the Jews and Hitler, right? And you, you, you experience that and you think, wait a minute, I thought, God, I thought they were God's people. I thought, and, that, and that's been through, true throughout history, right? And, da and David, God begins to reflect on a couple of the examples. He talks about the Philistines. He talks about the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians had regularly sold Israelites to the Greeks or the ones that lived around the Aegean Sea as slaves, it was a regular, whenever they could conquer God's people, they would do that. And they were, there's no other group of people that are more scattered on this planet than the Jewish people. There's just not. They're all over the place. And God re reflects on that a little bit. He, doesn't, he just gives a piece of it and says, you know, this is what you guys have done to my, my people. And something's going to happen on this day. I'm going to gather the nations together, and I'm going to enter into judgment with them. I'm going to call them to account. See, God will judge those who harm his people. It doesn't always happen in our timetable, does it? Come on, let's just, can we be real? Justice, things, consequences to disobedience, to sin, doesn't always, it doesn't happen to us always, right, either? But God says, I'm going to judge. I think we forget. We love God's love and mercy and grace. I do. I really do. But God is also judge. He's the only rightful judge. He's holy and just and righteous, but he is judge. And God will judge those who have harmed his people. 
This, this valley, it's got so many names, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Later, he'll call it the Valley of Decision. In Chronicles, it's, I can't say it, Baraka, I think. There's, there's a name there. there there's a, a valley outside of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and the, and the, oh, the, the olive trees. The Mount of Olives, right? Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Pat. I appreciate it. You know, there's this, this valley, and there's a, a river that runs through it, and, and all through scriptures, there's references to this, this place, and it has different purposes throughout history, but there's coming a day where God says, that's where I'm going to sit up my, my, my little stand and my gavel and my chair, and I'm going to bring all the nations to that place, and I'm going to judge them. There's an interesting verse in, in Revelation chapter 16. The Apostle John, through the Holy Spirit, is describing this moment, and he says, There will be spirits of demons that go out performing signs, and they will travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God. This, is, again, is his day. God the Almighty. And they will assemble. These demons will lead these leaders to bring their armies, bring their people, and they will assemble them at a place in Hebrew, which is called, anyone? Armageddon. This day, unlike any other day, in part, is when God brings to account those who have stood against, harmed, fought against, abused his people. We'll see in a minute why that is so important to God. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 32 in Romans 12 when he says, Remember, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. If you're, if you're a, a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, you've put your faith in Jesus, we cannot afford to forget that God is not only Savior in the form of Jesus coming, but he is also judge. If you're here this morning and you, you're here for, I don't know why, you were invited, you, curiosity, maybe you're trying to figure out if God is real and whether or not he exists, and if he does exist, if, if you matter to him, and so you're here for many different reasons, but if you've not put your faith in Jesus, you need to hear this morning, and, and I'll say it several times, that Jesus loves you and he came to die on the cross to be your savior, but he is also every human being's judge. Amen. And ultimately, I answer to him. There's other authorities that I answer to, but ultimately, I answer to him. God will judge his people those who have harmed his people. He will also redeem and restore those who are rightfully his. That's another 30,000 foot principle that we need to wrap our hearts and, and heads around because when we're living on the ground, when we're in the weeds, sometimes we forget that God is still redeeming and restoring what is his. Because you look at your life, you look at your bank account, you look at your health, you look at your relationships, you look at what we're walking through as human beings on this planet, and you think, where is God? Where is God and what is he doing? Because my perspective is so this, right? Whereas God's perspective is this, eternity past, eternity future. And not only will he judge those on this day, he will also redeem and restore what is his. He will care for what is his own. He will protect what is his own. You can see in that opening verses that he's very upset, rightfully so, of how his people have been treated. He will redeem and he will restore those who are rightfully his. And number three, from these verses, God will keep every promise that he's ever made. And I want to come back to this perspective of again. If we can just be honest, if we can be real, and I'm standing up here as the poster child for this, we can get so caught up 
because this is where we're living, in the details, the pain, the specifics, the challenges of life that we can forget or lose sight of or become detached from this 30,000-foot level that from page 1 to page the first page to the last page confirms that God makes promises, he makes covenants, and he keeps them. He keeps them. I just want that to sink in because some of us need to hear that. Some of us need to be reminded of that. Every morning when we get up and you, you've had a night of sleep, maybe not much sleep, and then you wake up and there's all the details there, all the challenges, all the pain, all the decisions that were there the night before. You're just maybe a little bit more rested, but the day begins with stepping back into that mess. Yeah? God keeps every promise that he makes. He doesn't keep it on my timeline, but he keeps every promise. And he's speaking through Joel in this moment. Yes, I know my people, Israelites, man, so much has happened. So much pain, so much failure, so much brokenness. But there's a day coming where I will sit as judge. I will gather the nations and I will judge them. And I'm still a God of redemption and restoration. I will redeem and restore what is mine because I always keep my promises. This is going to be an amazing day. An amazing day in God's plans for humanity. Now, I'm going to call you Pat all the time now. It's just, it just you're, you're uh, Master Pat. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, at some of this, and there, there's this, there's, again, a, a thread through Scripture that we have to understand. We have to look at it from this perspective. Often when these human authors are led by the Spirit to write these things, they are both speaking of a, a, a near and a far, or a already and not yet or this is ha- so to the jewish people they're reading this and they're thinking oh babylon babylonians and they came in and they stole the gold and, they, and and they're they're connecting it to real events that happened and that's accurate right but there's also a future for the church for those who are followers of christ there is a future day that he is speaking of and in that future day he's going to accomplish these things that i just mentioned He will judge those who've harmed his people. He will redeem and restore who are rightfully his. And he will keep every promise that he's ever made. Can you say amen to that? Can we say that sincerely? He will keep every promise that he's ever made. If he makes a promise, he keeps it. Verse 9. So here's what God says to do with this. Here's another thing that caught my attention. What makes this day unlike any other day? Proclaim this among the nations. Proclaim what I just said. Proclaim this truth that there's a day coming that we just described among the nations. Everybody needs to know this. And then prepare for holy war. This day is coming. I want you to rouse the warriors. Tell the nations. They need to let all the men of war advance and attack. Get ready for this day. It's not a surprise. It's not meant to be a secret to the nations. This, this truth about this day where it's his day. I want you to beat your plows into swords, your pruning knives into spears, get ready for battle. Let even the weakling, let even, you know, someone like me say, I'm a warrior, and come quickly. All of you surrounding nations, gather yourselves. Bring down your warriors here. Bring your breasts. Bring everybody. Let the nations be roused up, worked up, and let them come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit down to judge all the surrounding nations. Swing the sickle, 
because the harvest is ripe. The time for judgment has finally come on this day. Come and trample the grapes, which represents God's wrath, because the winepress is full, and the wine bats are overflowing because the wickedness of the nations is great. What makes this day unlike any other day? Oh, let me, let me read. I want to read two more verses. Hold on. Multitudes. This part is important. Multitudes. This is God's perspective. Multitudes. There's multitudes in the valley of decision, the valley of Jehoshaphat. For the day of the Lord is near. It's coming close in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will cease their shining. The Lord will roar from Zion and raise his voice from Jerusalem. Heaven and earth will shake. But the Lord will be a refuge for his people and a stronghold for the Israelites. Those, those last couple of verses that I almost forgot to read, they, just, they, they paint the picture that no, nobody's going to be able to ignore what's happening. Every human experience, everything connected to our human experience is going to be rocked. And he gives some examples. The, the, the weather, the environment, all of... All of Think about this. If every nation is, you know what? We got we to all gather to go fight this battle. What happens to all the other institutions of human society? They're put on hold. Everything is on hold. The world is being drawn. God is drawing the world to this place for his day. And he said it a second time. Did you hear it? I will sit down to judge. God is inviting, if that's not the right word, he is compelling the world, the nations, all of man's systems, all of mankind's ideas of, of government and, and how, to, how to lead and to rule, all ethnicities, all tribes, everyone is being compelled by God to come to this location so that God can sit down and judge. But don't miss it. The 30,000-foot level for me, as I looked, at, looked on this, these thoughts came to my mind. Number one, God wants it to be known that this day is coming. And we need to understand that about who God is. Is God the judge? Yeah. Yes. Is, is God the rightful judge? Yeah. He is. He says, uh, th that moment where he, he looks and he, and he has Joel write down, look how many people, look at the multitudes Look at the vast majority of my creation that have gone their own way and have rejected me and abused my people. And, and in this context, what he's saying is, I made myself known to the world through my people. Was that not Israel's purpose? Now, you with me? He, choo he chooses Abraham and he builds a nation. Why? To show mankind who he is. He makes covenants with them so the world would know. He sends prophets so the world would know. Eventually, he would send his own son, Jesus Christ, so that the world would know. The gospel is a message of hope, but it, it's a message of hope because there's a day coming where God is going to hold every human being to account for how they respond to his revelation. The people of Israel, the Jewish nation, are revelation. They're to show the world who God is and what a relationship with him looks like. And he says, look at the multitudes that have, the, the, the vast majority, bring them together, bring them together. But don't miss, in that moment, I, I, I hear the pain in God's heart. God wants it to be known that his day is coming. His heart is not that anybody would go on that, nobody told me. 
Nobody told me about God. Nobody told me about his son, Jesus Christ. Nobody told me there was a day coming that I would have to give an account to my creator. What's wrong with you people? How come? That's not God's heart. Would you agree? Why are we here? Why is Crossroads here? Why is the church, the bride of Christ, living and breathing on this planet? Why don't we just go to heaven and enjoy Jesus? You know why. Because he wants people to know. That's our job, right? God wants people to know this day. Look at how verse 9 started. Proclaim this. Don't keep this a secret. Warn people. Number two, God wants it to be known that there's no escaping of his judgment. Something that's happened in, in my lifetime in the Western world is we've so watered down, minimized the truth of accountability to our Creator. We don't believe Satan's real. We've explained hell away, and we've, in, in, in many ways, we've made the gospel this just invite Jesus into your life, and it's all good, and you know, spend, and everybody will, everybody will get there eventually. We write books about that. God wants the world to know. God wants everyone in your life and my life to know that there's a day coming, it's his day, and there will be no escaping his judgment. Either your sins will be paid for and judgment has taken place on my sins, or I will stand before God and I will face his judgment for my own sin and my rebellion. Number three, God wants it known and it's there in verse, eight, in, in verse 16. He wants it to be known that he is judge and he is refuge, a stronghold. Do you see it? He's, I, I, God is the, the, because it's who he is, but he's the perfect display of grace and truth, love and truth. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't kind of sugarcoat it. He says, there's a day coming, and it's going to be my day, and I make the decisions. I will settle everything, and I will do that as judge. But there is an opportunity for anyone to stand before me as refuge and as a stronghold in the day of judgment. You think if you know Christ and you're a follower of Jesus and your sins have been covered, that this day is going to be an easy day for you and for me? as the world is judged for their sin because I'm under the blood and because I'm safe and I have a... No, it's, it's going to be overwhelming for us as human beings. I'm going to need a refuge. I'm going to need a stronghold. The truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, that I'm going to grip onto the leg of Jesus, if you will, and praise God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being my refuge. This is crazy. This is crazy. What's it? This is right. This judgment, but ah. Oh. You think if we're alive in that moment, do you think that we'll know people that are being judged? If it happened today, if the day of the Lord happened today, would you know people that were under his judgment? I do. I would. I need a refuge. I need a stronghold. And God offers it, and he says, I want people to know that. I want them to know the day's coming. I want them to know that there's no escaping my judgment, but I want them to know that I am judge and I am refuge. So proclaim this. Go back to verse 9. Do you see it in your Bible? Proclaim this. Be a voice of hope. But if you're a follower of Jesus, please do not give in to the pressure of our culture and try to make it, le make it less offensive and more palatable, if you will, easier to go down. I'm going to date myself, but do you remember the um, spoonful of sugar? Okay. <laughs> okay, good. A lot of you are smiling, so I'm not as old as I thought. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, and we, we, want, we do that with our kids, right? 
I don't know who's making these pills and why they have to be the, you know, the size of a crayon, but, you know, they're, we're like, how do we do it? We make, we put it in peanut butter, we do what, because we want it to go, we, we know they need it, and so we want, but we do that with the truth, with the gospel. And the book of Joel reminded me, and I hope it reminds us, that we can't do that. We can't make it a spoonful of sugar. The reality is God is judge, and he's refuge and stronghold. And we're going to stand before him and give an account. So be a voice of hope. I love that in the middle of this chapter, God's point through Joel is I want people to know. I want people to know. Matt, I said it. Master Pat, <laughs> I know we'd, we, he would agree with this because it came out in his last two messages. This is not so that we can, we can know what's happening. We're not studying this so that we can go, oh, hey, <laughs> I know what's happening. Or, and we're not doing this so that you can win an argument on Facebook. Because I know what's going to... Why are we walking through the, the gospel of Joel? So that we will embrace this message and we will go out and be voices of hope in our worlds. Amen. If all it does, you leave on these three Sundays and you go home and go, okay, I know a lot more about Joel. I didn't even know Joel was a book in the Bible. Now I know all this stuff. Then we've failed. Or we haven't listened to the Holy Spirit. If it's just, it's not for up here. God wants people to know. And how is he going to make it known? He's going to make it known through you and me. Right? I got a couple amens, not a whole lot. Look at verse 17. Last section of chapter 3. What will make this day unlike any other day? God says, then you will know. This is all we need to make this a day like any other day. On that day, you will know. The world will know that I am Yahweh, your God. The people of Israel, the people of God will know it. The church will know it. The nations will know it. You will know that I am Yahweh your God and I dwell in Zion, my holy mountain. You'll know that Jerusalem is holy and foreigners will never overrun it again. In that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the streams of Judah will flow with water and a spring will issue from the Lord's house, watering the valley of Acacias. Egypt will become desolate. Edom, a desert wasteland couple of the enemies that have stood multiple times against God's people because of the violence done to the people of Judah in those land in whose land they shed innocent blood but Judah will be inhabited forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation don't miss this I will pardon their blood guilt which I have not pardoned and he's speaking of the people of God for the Lord dwells in Zion really quickly let me just give you a couple more thoughts and I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about what we need to do with this. But here's the thoughts. Number, number one, this day, this day unlike any other day, will confirm that everything God has done, everything he is doing, and everything he will do reveals the truth about who he is. Everything God does is intentional. And it has one purpose, to make him known to you and me, to make him known to this world to cut through all the lies of Satan. It started in Genesis 3, right? Isn't that what Satan did? He, he twisted the reality of who God is. Think about it, remember? Did God really say, oh, God wants, you know, God, and he begins to twist who God is. And God, from the, before the foundation of this earth was laid in place, God, everything God does, everything that he has done, everything that he will do, focuses on one purpose, to make him known in the reality of who he is, the truth of who he is. He is judge and he is re refuge. 
Everything God does, and this day will confirm it, it will bring it all to a head. Everything God does reveals who he is, reveals his nature. Number two, this day is going to confirm something that we should know, the world should know. This day will confirm that God has always provided hope, and he's always provided a future for those who will embrace him as Lord. Go back to Genesis 3. What happens? One day, a seed of a woman is going to be born. Yeah, you'll bruise the heel of man, Satan, but a child is going to be born, and it's going to crush your head. Who is that? Are you sure all the way back then? This is already God's heart? This is already God's plan? Even before that moment, right? It's always been God's heart. And this day of judgment and settling accounts will confirm that God has always provided hope and a future for those who will embrace him or proclaim him as Lord. Jeremiah 29, you know this verse, many of you do. I, I know the plans I have you, and guess what? God is speaking to those who had been carried away by Babylon, his own people, who were experiencing this kind of, of day or days. And I have plans for you. They're plans for your welfare. I have plans not for disaster, but I have plans to give you a future and a hope. And you will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. That has always been God's interaction with his creation. Paul said it this way in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will stand before God not as judge, but as refuge and stronghold. One amen? Thank you for the one. It was a woman's voice. I want to acknowledge that. It's one, it's with the heart that we believe, resulting in righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Everything God has done, everything he has ever done, seeks to reveal to his creation, this world, who he truly is. Who he truly is. And this day of days will confirm that there's always been a path of redemption. There's always been a path of hope and reconciliation. I want to ask you a couple of questions. I have three, maybe four, and I've got like two minutes, so you guys listen. Are you, your seatbelt still fastened? Don, are you paying attention? All right, all right, just good. Okay, let's walk through these really quick. Number one, I want to ask you, and these, these, are, these are questions that I hope you will grapple with, you and God. Number one, who will you encounter in the Valley of Decision? When you're there, don't, I, I want you to just think in your heart and your mind, who, will you stand before, will you meet your judge? Or will you meet your savior? Will you stand before him and hold on to him as refuge and stronghold? Or will you stand there with the nations and face him as judge? You with me? Ignore the people being silly by me. Will I encounter, who will I encounter in the valley of decision, judge or refuge? Number two, how are you preparing for this day? Many of you said amen through this, this chapter three. Do we believe this is coming? Do we believe it's real? Do we believe this is more than just a ooh, prophetic book in the Old Testament? That this is describing real events? There's actually a day coming where it'll be his day and he will gather the nations. And if we believe that to be true, and I do, then shouldn't we be preparing for that? Shouldn't we be ready for that day? And number three, what do the people, and I'm going to say your people, and by that I mean the people in your circle, your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, 
You know who your people are? The barista that you visit too many times a week, you know, getting that $5 coffee. You with me? Sorry, sorry if you work for Starbucks. You got your people, right? Your family, your kids, your grandkids, you with me? Anybody awake? Do you know who your people are? What do your people see in your actions and what do they hear in your words that gives them hope? Say that again in your head. What do the people, your people, see in how you live? What are they seeing in you? And what are they hearing in your words that actually gives them hope? That might be a short list. If it is, we need to correct that. Would you agree? Okay, we're on the same page. So where do I start? I look at these questions and I hope you'll take them seriously. Who will we encounter in the Valley of Decision? How are we preparing for our people, our lives for that day? And what are the people in my life, the people, my people, seeing in my actions and hearing in my words that gives them hope? Where do I start? Recently, Becky and we, Becky got a new phone. We got her a new phone. And uh, we went in, you know, you take out the SIM card, and the SIM card just identifies the, 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 techno, the phone for the company. But it doesn't make that phone her phone. You have to do a cloud backup, right? You know what I'm talking about? And I go on her phone, and, you know, sometimes it says last week. When was the last backup? Six months, a year. I'm not, I didn't know this was possible, but her phone said, never. Never was there a backup. So we tried to do a cloud backup, and it went on for days, and it was just, it was too much, and a couple of visits. To, why was that important? Because the, the SIM card makes the phone, identifies it with the company, but it doesn't make it her phone. It doesn't restore the identity to that phone. She wants, what do you think she wants most of all? The pictures, I heard it. She wants the contacts. She wants the apps that she goes to and, and uses and all the information because that makes it her phone. It's crazy. I look at it and I'm like, oh, what is this? But it's her phone, all that stuff. And sometimes we need to do that. We need a cloud backup. We need to stop in our life and say, hold on. Who am I? Who am I? All this, this change, all this stuff's happening in the world, all this craziness, and I need a cloud backup. Can I encourage you this morning, in just a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to do this, and it's these tables around the room. This is a cloud backup. This is a re, reorienting yourself to who God says that you are. If you put your faith in Jesus, if he is your savior, then the Lord's table is your chance to come and do that backup and say, hold on, hold on. What is it that makes me who I am? For Becky, that phone, it's the pictures, it's the contacts, it's the things that are hers. This is what makes me who I am to God. This is what makes, reminds me that I won't stand before him as judge, but I will stand before him as refuge and, and stronghold because of that. Jesus said it much simpler. He just said, remember, remember. Do this in remembrance of me. But Paul said, if you come, make sure coming, you're coming with the right heart. Make sure there's no viruses on that phone. Make sure there's nothing on that phone that doesn't belong on that phone. You with me? He says, you come. If you're one of my children, you put your faith in my son Jesus. You're in my family, and you need to just come and remember. Some of us, that's where we need to start. We need to start with a reboot or a cloud backup that just comes back and says, this is who I am because God says, this is who I am. And can I just tell you, that's going to change everything in how you respond to what you heard this morning. 
Let me give you one other suggestion. Sometimes we need a hard restart. You know what this is on your phone? This is my level of technological expertise. If I can't find, get something to work, I do a hard restart on my phone. I shut it down and I boot it back up. And, and it, it erases some things, doesn't it? It gets rid of some things. It reorganizes some things. Some of us in this room this morning maybe need to start here and say, I just need a hard restart. I need to stop and evaluate what I'm doing with my life. What am I doing with what God has given me? You know these numbers, and they're in the bulletin. We put the numbers in the bulletin once a month, and it's a measurement of our giving as a, as a church family. We put a budget, right? We put together a budget as leaders, and we say, this is how we want to invest in the coming year, our time, our talent, our treasure. This is how we want to minister to children. This is how we want to serve our youth. This is how we want to reach the community. This is how we want to take care of our staff. This is how we want to invest in the facility that God's given us. Here's a budget. It's just numbers. But behind the numbers are people people. And when you look at the number that's in your bulletin this morning of what was given in July, again, it's just numbers until you stop and realize, no, it actually represents people. It represents people that have chosen to give of their, of, in this case, of their treasure. But when you walked in here, you saw evidence of people that were giving of their time and of their talent. You tracking with me? What are you doing with what God's given you? We, we, have a, we have a good number in July. Do you see it? Why do we have a good number? Because people gave. In fact, there were people that gave above and beyond. God led some people to give very generously. And that's awesome that they obeyed and they gave. But some of us need to do a hard restart and say, hold on, what am I doing with my time, with my money, with what God's given me in, in ability? Am I living with those three in those three areas in such a way that my people have hope. You tracking with me? You go back to what I said before? Does it matter what you do with your money? Yes, it does. Does it matter what you do, we do with our time? Yes, it does. And does it matter what you do with how God has gifted you and given you ability? Yes, it does. And if I can be so bold as to say it all points back to what we believe about the day of days. Is that day coming? Don't answer. Is that day coming? Is it coming as a day of judgment? Is it coming as a day of God saying, here's who I am? If we believe that's true, it should be reflected now, today, in what I do with my time, my treasure, and my talent. So if you look at that number and you see that number in your bulletin, and, and, you, and I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Maybe I will. No, I won't. If you look at that number and you say, that number doesn't represent me. I'm not a part of that number. Or you look at that number and say, well, I kind of played around with it, but I, I didn't really give to God generously. I didn't give like I believe the day of the Lord is coming. Or my time, I look at my calendar and I, and I look at it and I go, man, there's a lot of me time and there's not a lot of God time. And yes, God has given you and me, every one of us, ability and talent, capacity. What am I doing with it? So where do we start? Some of us need to start with a cloud backup. We need to be reminded this morning who we are in Christ. It may be that you're here this morning and you say, I'm not welcome at that table because I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've never embraced him as, as Savior. 
If God is speaking to you this morning and there's this thought in your head, it's in your heart, says, I do not want to face him as judge. I want to face him as refuge and stronghold. The door's open. The door's open. You can come this morning for the first time. We simply confess him. Not simply, I don't want to say it that way. We just intentionally confess him as Lord. We agree that Jesus is God. And we believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead. He didn't just die on the cross and was buried. He rose from the dead and he's living today. In fact, he will be the one sitting at that table with the gavel. On the day of judgment, it'll be him. And every one of us will stand before him as judge or will stand before him as our refuge and our stronghold. If God's speaking to you about this morning, you came in, I don't know what you came in with, but that's where your heart is now. Don't ignore it. Don't push it off as, oh, it's just kind of a religious thing or it's the, you know, it's church. And so I'm just, no, 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 no. Don't, don't ignore God speaking to you and saying, hey, I love you. I want you in my family. You can be welcome at this table. You need to know who you are to him. If you're a follower of Jesus and you need a, a cloud backup, you need a reorienting of your identity, prepare your heart right now. Because in a moment, you're going to be invited to the table. And those of you that need a hard restart, you know who you are, Right? If we're all, you don't have to tell me. I'm not asking you to tell me or anybody else. But God already knows, and you know. I mean, I'm not using my, my time for God. I'm not using my treasure for Him. I'm not in those numbers, or I'm barely in those numbers. I'm, and, I, and I'm not serving. I'm not investing my, my talent in making disciples. The people around me don't see and hear hope. Can you do a hard restart right now? You can. You know how easy it is on your phone? Anybody, you, any, am I the only one who knows how to do this? I'll, I'll show you afterwards. It's, pre, it's, it's easy, right? But you have to be intentional and you have to be careful because also the SOS 9-11 or whatever comes up and if you're not careful, you're going to do something you don't want to do. You have to be intentional and say, God, I need a hard restart. I need some stuff removed. I need some stuff cleared up. I need some stuff updated because I would need to leave from this place this morning using my time, my talent, my treasure for you because I'm convinced God the day of the Lord is coming your day is coming a day like any other day is coming and not only do I want to be ready for it I want my people to be ready for it I want the people in my life to be ready for it amen so you need a, you need you need some time and our worship team is here to, to provide that time where you're invited to the Lord's table and you, you, you do that cloud backup. You reorient with who you are. But maybe some of you need to sit where you are first and you need that hard restart and you need to confess some things to God. Because we're going to sing about building our life on His love. And if, if you need a hard restart and you don't do it, if you're just going through the motions and the song is meaningless, or if you need a cloud, whatever it is that you need, now is the moment. You have a few moments. I think we got about 10 minutes. Can you guys play that long? It may sound like a lot of time, but it's going to be gone before you know it. Please do not miss this moment. God is speaking to you. You don't need to hear my voice. You need to hear his voice. Are we together?